It's really great to see everybody here this morning. Would you please join with me in prayer? Uh, We can pray for ourselves, pray for me, and uh, just give this time to the Lord in a special way. God, I just thank you for um, the time of speaking your word. And ultimately, Lord, I, I want this time to be a time where people are really moved forward in eternal things. Lord, we want this time to count, uh, not by human effort, but because of you doing something that changes things, which will impact eternity. And so, Father, would you come and just hear our prayers. Father, I pray you'd anoint my word. I pray you'd lead my mind. I pray, Father, that you would highlight and bring the Holy Spirit's conviction and exclamation point to to any part of the message that you want to. Father, I pray there be great hope. Lord, I pray that no one would be robbed by uh, fleshly or demonic discouragement. But Lord, that the your word would do its its good work, which is to bring humility and to bring great hope and to bring faith in who you are, who you truly are, and that you would do it. God, I just give you myself. I give you this church. Would you glorify the name of Jesus? And all God's people said, Amen. So we're talking about family. I want to spend a few weeks, family, family February, and wanting to just bring this call to live for the glory of God in whatever family you find yourself in. And there's, last time we talked about that, there's all kinds of permutations, just to use big words, and um, all different kinds of experiences of family, and it doesn't stay the same. Right? So sometimes family is extended family. Sometimes family is living single, but you've got um, people around you. Sometimes it's marriage. Sometimes it's young kids. And sometimes it's older kids. Sometimes it's turning around and finding out that you're an empty nester. Um, sometimes it's grandkids. Sometimes it's uh, family being broken apart, um, either by death or a divorce or something like that. A family is a mess. It's everywhere. We all have family, and then you throw church family in the mix, which sometimes is messier and sometimes is better, and um, it's just a mess. And so the call from last week was, wherever you're at, whoever you are, um, we are called to do family for the glory of God. And when we do that, it actually answers a lot of the questions right off the bat. It releases us from feeling competition. It releases us from feeling like we need to be in control. Whatever family you're in, whether it's Calvary Chapel or the people who share your last name or don't, the call is to do family for the glory of God. God's hope, God's name, God's way. I read this week, you probably heard of this as well, and I hope this news story is a joke. This is one of those stories where you're like, I really hope that this person who's doing this is just a really committed comedian. But I read a news story, and I think it was a guy from India or something like this, who is suing his parents. And he's suing his parents because he believes that they owe him a good life for the rest of his life. They should be paying for him to just um, have a good life, to not have to work, to not have to do whatever, not have to go to school. They, they owe him uh, a living wage and a reasonable income. And his reasoning is he never asked to be born. They did not procure written consent for his conception and birth. And so since they essentially were the ones who wanted him, they made the choice. It was for their own pleasure and benefit and not his, that he feels that they owe him 
to keep him happy because he never wanted to be born. And sometimes, you know, we, and so this is why I'm, I'm really hoping. It's so absurd. Though supposedly there's this movement in India which is very um, populous against just birth in general, that you don't do the kids any favor to bring them into such an evil world, they say. But when you, if this isn't a joke, um, it's pretty absurd and pretty far-fetched. But at the same time, it's tapping into something. I'm the victim here. I didn't choose this life. I didn't choose this family. I, I maybe didn't even cho- choose where the church is going. And somebody owes me something. What a mess. And this is this call to live instead for the glory of God is kind of the complete opposite of this. Okay, so I didn't choose. I'm not in control. But I am made by God. And I can walk with him in faith, whatever the situation is, whether it's something really big, like a hard family or church issue or big project to work through, or whether it's just the daily grind. Oh, you're hungry again? Living for the glory of God. Now, I, I went away from the last message a little bit disappointed with myself and because I know that to say living for the glory of God, a lot of people's response is, what in the world does that mean? Because we don't really talk about it in our culture and even around church, you know, if you accidentally assume people might know or don't spend a lot of time teaching about it, it can be unhelpful just to say, live for the glory of God. And so an illustration of what living for the glory of God it could be. Here's a little illustration that might help you get along. Okay, so let's imagine that our guitarist is up here and he's playing his electric twanger. And um, he just launches into the most face-melting solo of all time. Okay, just shredding this thing. Just the meadly meadlies and the finger tapping and the nose tapping. Just rocking it. And he's rocking this thing so hard that the like nickel-wound strings are just starting to glow orange just with the vibration, the energy, just this, and everyone's, ah, and so he's just, the face melting, and, you know, the one lighter comes out in the crowd, because we don't have a lot of lighters, but um, anyhow, and so that's happening, okay, and everyone's amazed at what's going on there, that is being amazed at glory, somebody's doing something that's just amazing, amen? And you get to experience it. And so you're in the presence of glory and it's impacting. You're just like, just up there doing this. And he's playing a whole song. And then he pulls out the acoustic and he's doing like all eight parts of a song just by himself. And you just, ah, the glory, ah. And the praise is going out there. And let's say, because this is what we do, somebody or I pulled out my phone and I started recording this thing, Right? And I'm just the, the and my phone is starting to heat up. There's so much glory going on that it's, like, it's hard to hold on to. Stay on target. Stay on target. Use the force. And then you just you videotape that thing. It's not even video. I don't even know what you're gonna digitally encode pictures and sound onto uh, solid state drive. What are we gonna say nowadays? Um, and then you put it online, right? And then what happens? It's on YouTube. And it's starting to clear 50 million hits all of a sudden. And everyone's like, this is amazing! Okay, this is, this is kind of a picture of living for the glory of face-melting shred fests. Because somebody's there watching it going, ah, oh, this is amazing! And then taking the time to turn around and help other people experience the glory. 
okay? So everybody who's watching that little video on, from my phone on YouTube or Facebook, then they're, they're experiencing somebody taking the time to share the glory of the shredding. Does that make sense? And that's what we're called to do with God. We're called to behold his glory and then to respond in such a way that other people can experience it too. That's living for the glory of God. I see God's glory and I want other people to experience it. But we can't just hold up a phone. We kind of need to be the phone. Right? We see his glory and then by worshiping him and wanting to be like him and obey him and respond like him, other people can experience God's glory through us by what we do. And then we point people to him and say, you know what, you can come and see the glory yourself. But that's living for the glory of God. I want to know God in such a way and respond to God in such a way that other people see his glory, that I'm praising him and saying, you're amazing. And at the same time, I'm showing his amazingness by how I live. That's living for the glory of God. And over the next couple of messages, I want to just um, try to touch on being a family for the glory of God and whatever that family looks like. But with a specific eye to... um, people's kids, and to the church life, being a family for the glory of God, to experience God's glory and to share God's glory. And I want to just focus on, I'm going to just take these perspectives, love, truth, and training, okay? Love, truth, and training. Today we're going to talk about love. Can I get the next slide, please? There should be a next slide. There we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can you kind of see in this one verse from Ephesians, Paul's call for the church and how they should live? That kind of picture of glory. You who are beloved children of God, act like him, imitate him. Hold up the phone of your life and play the video of God's face-shredding love solo and live in a loving way the same way Jesus has loved you. This is is it. Living for the glory of God. Seeing his glory, showing his glory, and particularly the glory of the love of God. Christian God really loves you. He really does. And I'm having a little sense of deja vu because I think I've crawled over this podium before recently with the same truth. But you know what? We, we, we will never grow out of hearing this or knowing it. God really loves us. And if you don't know that, I really want you to know that. 
And if you're visiting today and you don't really know Jesus like you could, um, this is why Jesus came. It's to do everything it took to bring us to a place where we could just be loved by his Father and stay loved by his Father forever and then love him back by God's help. The things that got in the way were our sin, us committing crimes against God's law, which flowed out of a heart of not trusting God. Not trusting God is kind of like his biggest insult. If there's something you want to do to to really uh, insult God, just don't believe him. That's where it all starts. But Jesus came to get us forgiveness for being like that and to bring us home to his Father and to change us from the inside out so that we could be loved forever. This, this really is the goal. And it can kind of sound a little wimpy and chintzy, but it's not. And so I want to talk about three perspectives or three aspects of God's love that we're called to really know and believe in and then also to respond with. The first thing God's love is, is it's affectionate. It's affectionate. And I want us to know that this is true. In one sense, affection, and this is the way I'm thinking about it, I know that people use this word in different ways, and I think the meaning of this word has changed over the last few hundred years, but when I'm talking about affection, affection is making love felt. That's what it is. It's where you're making your love for someone experienced, making it felt. That's what affection does. So when a little kid comes and jumps on your lap, grandma or mom or dad, and you start kind of like giving them that back scratch because you love them, they're experiencing it. Or when uh, Junior brings home the report card, and instead of just saying, that's nice, honey. You sit them down and look them in the eye and say, I'm actually really proud of you and how you did. That's making your love felt. That's what affection is. It's making your love felt. And I want to show us just from Scripture really quickly that God's intention is to make his love for us felt. And I get this from Romans chapter 5. I'm going to just read from verse 1. It's just five verses. It starts off with this thing called being justified by faith, which means that God makes us right before him just by trusting in what Jesus did. God makes it okay for us to be in God's presence and we're not going to get judged and we're going to be welcomed just by trusting what Jesus did on his cross. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And more than that, and this is where it gets really important, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Listen to this. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he gave to us. Okay, so I've got a little bit of a bottle of water here. And this water is so precious to me right now because I'm thirsty. I'm not going to pour it onto somebody. Okay, so everybody. But let's say Matt's sitting here and I just poured this bottle of water onto his head. Would he experience something? Okay, would he notice? Right? 
It's one of those things when you pour something on something, it changes things. People experience it. So when Paul is talking about using that picture of God pouring something into our hearts, he's saying God does something where you experience in your heart something. And what he's saying is he pours the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can know his love. Okay, I'm rejigging the words a little bit, but this is how I understand it. He pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, or he sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can experience his love. And what I'm saying that that's affection. I don't want to just love you. I want to make you know that I love you. That's affection. Making someone experience the tenderness and goodness of love. That's why the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's why when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, Sunday school kids, the first fruit of the Spirit is... Okay, well, you've been out of it for a while, but obviously you didn't forget. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. And it, it goes on, and so, okay, calmness. But, I, this is the truth. God's love for his children is affectionate. It is meant to be experienced, and he sent the Spirit into our hearts so that we would be able to experience his love as a good thing. So I know that lots of us struggle with this thing. But I, and I just want to say, I think the answer is to turn to the Holy Spirit and just take a verse like this and say, Holy Spirit, if this is your job, I I don't feel God's love. I don't feel like he likes me. I don't feel like he's tender towards me. I don't feel like he has a kindness towards me. I think ultimately this is a faith in the Holy Spirit problem. It's unbelief. Almost all of our problems are unbelief. It's really easy to be a preacher. You could just come up here and say, the problem is unbelief, and you would be right 110% of the time. You'd be so right, you get a bonus 10%. It's almost always unbelief, but I, I think fundamentally the thing that keeps us from experiencing God's love is not trusting the Holy Spirit to do His job, or not knowing, or not looking, and not seeking. Amen? So, so if this is a thing for you, we love you, no judgment. Why don't you surrender to the Holy Spirit and just say, it seems from Scripture that the reason Jesus came was so that you would come into my heart and make me know the Father loves me and experience his affection. Please do that. I'll be patient. The Holy Spirit is usually not a microwave oven. He's not the McDonald's drive through where you talk on the radio one second and then you drive 15 feet and you get your food the next thing because he does the job right not necessarily quick sometimes it's faster than we expect but if you just give yourself to the holy spirit holy spirit do romans 5 5 for me please by the power of the resurrected jesus he will do it because of the glory of god And so that you can experience the glory of the affection of God's love. And then you can pass on the glory of the affection of God's love to other people. Amen? This is a thing.
Church, this is a thing. This is why one of the reasons why I love being Trinitarian, and I love, I'm so glad I'm a charismatic, and I'm so glad I believe in the Holy Spirit. It is His job not just to make us do strange things, which happens sometimes. It is His job to make us experience the affections of the Father, which are real affections. Oh, boy. And at the same time, if we're going to imitate the Father, can we do what we can do to make our families experience our love for them? Kind words really meant. I'm proud of you for this. This this is one of the things, the more I just try to see God's glory, every day, as much as I remember, I pray three things. God, would you please make me see your glory? Please make me know how much you love me and help me be brave where I need to be brave. The same prayer. I don't even know how to pray anything else right now. This is so good. The more I'm seeing God's glory, the more there's just an overflow to the kids. You know, one of them wakes up and says, I'm just so glad you're here. And taking the time, you know, you can say you love someone to somebody and they're like, yeah, 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 they're, they're still like this. I love you. Yeah, I know. Okay, you just like stop, grab the shoulders, turn their face, look in their eyes. No, I really love you. Do you understand? No, you don't get it yet. I really love you. Okay. Because most of us kind of have our guards up against this kind of stuff, like vulnerability, affection. We don't really believe on it. And then when we want it, we get hurt and the shields go up and the scars cover over. And it actually can take a lot of work to get somebody to the place where they believe you when you say it. I am really proud of you. I, I, I really like, you know what, this is kind of, just ask, Holy Spirit, help me to make the people in my family, in my church family, actually experience love through me. That is living for the glory of God. Okay, the next thing we can talk about is loyalty. God's love is a, is a loyal love. Amen. So if affection is making love felt, loyalty is making love endure, making love persevere. Right? And one of the things that I think can throw us off in our culture, we love the the fun of love, if that makes any sense. The dating excitement, the honeymoon years. We, we, when we say love, we usually mean like, chocolate love i love chocolate i love i love this person why they make me feel so good when i'm around them i enjoy being around it's so fun it's so fun oh fun 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 it feels so good that's great but we don't have this huge concept of love being about loyalty love being about commitment persevering when we don't see loveliness or something that makes us want to love right that makes sense loyalty is when you persevere in loving somebody, when they're giving you lots of reasons to not want to. And because we don't have this huge sense of loyalty in family, sometimes it's like guilt loyalty, but like from the heart, because of the glory of God loyalty, we can just want to quit or we can back out and stuff like that. And I know it's common. I'm not judging anybody. And it's just kind of life. But the glory of God is that his love is very loyal. So even just a few verses later, in chapter 5, he said, Paul says this, the next, start in the next verse, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
He died for people who give God reasons not to love them. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a person one, sorry, for, um, so perhaps for a good person one will dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God kind of takes us right at our least lovableness. And he just says, I'm going to give you a loyal love right from the start. I'm going to send my son Jesus. He's going to die for your sins, which is going to add kind of, to use a word picture, padding onto the rest of our relationship. Whenever you're like just telling me with what you do and what you think, go away, I don't want near you, I don't want to be faithful to you, why should I obey you? The padding of the shed blood of Jesus so that God's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to convict. I'm going to pull. I'm going to call. I'm going to send people. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to stay loyal to you. And this is one of the glories of the new covenant. I just, I was, I've been reading through Jeremiah, um, which is not one of the most encouraging books of the Bible. Anybody? Can I get an amen from somebody? It's like six, 52 chapters of everything going wrong. And, and God being really unblessed about it. But there's this great passage. Um, it's kind of scattered within Jeremiah are these new covenant promises. And so God says this to his people right before Jerusalem is destroyed. Starting in verse 38, he says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Start talking about making this family of God. He says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever and for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Guys, this is one of the craziest prophetic verses ever. That God would say, in the midst of all of his people rejecting him, except for like Jeremiah. He's saying that there's going to be a day, I'm going to take a people, and I'm going to be their people, and I'm going to be be their God, and I will give them a heart to be faithful to me. I'm going to be so loyal to them, I'm going to take on the responsibility of giving them a heart to know me. And I will even put the fear of God, which means like taking God really seriously, I'm going to put it in their hearts so they won't turn away. And I am going to rejoice in doing them good. I'm going to plant them in the land with all of my heart and all of my soul. He said, I'm going to make this everlasting covenant with them to do this. Which is the table we had last week when you came up for the juice and the cracker, the new covenant, this covenant that will last forever where God's going to say, I am doing all the work here to make you stay and I am going to enjoy doing it. Because I'm God and I get to decide whatever I enjoy. <laughs> it's so crazy. This God of ours so unbelievably loyal to choose a people to himself, the worst of people at the worst of their times, and saying, I'm going to love you and pick you and choose you and forgive you and change your heart from the inside out. And I will make sure that you stay and I'm going to enjoy being good to you the whole way through because I'm God. <laughs> And you're going to see my glory 
the glory of my love and you're going to love it. And I'm going to call you to be like that to people in your family too. It's amazing. It's so glorious. It's so glorious. And one of the crazy things about being a Christian, this is one of the things for me that's crazy. You know, you start... It's just this like emotional cycle that happens for me where you're just like, oh God, remind me of Jesus. And then you're in the Word or you're in the world and you're like, Jesus is amazing. And then you think, and he had to die for me? That's crazy. And then I'm just like, but he didn't love? That's amazing. He's so amazing. And he had to die for us? Why would you ever want him to die? He's so amazing. And he did it for the glory of his father, that's amazing. And he had to die for us. That's amazing. He's so amazing. And he had to die. He's amazing. His love is, a, he's that. And you can just, you can go on forever because the more you see the glory of Jesus, the more crazy it is to think that he would die for sinners, which is his glory, which makes it crazy that he would die for sinners, which is his glory, which makes it crazy that someone so glorious would die for sinners, which is his glory. This love's amazing. It's so amazing. Steady and unchanging. Like I, oh man, sometimes the music just does not keep up with the glory. Like you, that tune is not, it's just, ah. So you need tons of like rumbling drums and those like synth keys that just hit, you know, there's in a song yet that's glory enough for Jesus. He's so amazing. And that he would pick a people like me and just be like, I'm going to love you forever. And when you start to wander, I will change your heart to have you. And I'm going to enjoy doing it. So that when you come back, I'm happier for having done it. It's not a guilt trip. It's the glory of God. And so he calls us to grow in loyalty as well, to express a love that perseveres through unloveliness. And for us, what I think it means is that we learn just to fight for fellowship, okay? So a little bit earlier in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, uh, he says, he says, this is chapter four, sorry. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you were called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, otherwise known as loyalty. If if you have to bear with somebody, they're not provoking happiness from you. They're they're throwing water on the the happiness. You're not making this easy. You've got to bear with somebody in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's this call that, like God, we're going to have to endure one another in love to maintain fellowship to maintain unity amen anybody ever had to do that like in our families in our church it's part of our glory to live for the glory of god is to want to seek to maintain fellowship and maintain unity to do our part to the glory of god because that's what god's been like for us and two practical ways that we can kind of do this is to be really good at apologizing and really good at forgiving in this world you can either be so good that you never need to give any apologies. Is that anybody? No problem. <laughs> or you can get really good at giving apologies. Those are your two options. 
You can be so good you never need to give any apologies, or you can get really good at giving apologies, because you're going to have to, right? Does that make sense? It's either one or the other. And at the same time, we can either surround ourselves with people so good that we never need to forgive anything. Is that anybody's situation? Or we can get really good at forgiving things. Because if you're not in a family that's perfect, you're going to have to forgive them. And if you're not perfect, you're going to have to humble yourself and apologize sometime. Right? Does that make sense? But this isn't a downer because actually the strength of any family, whether it's a church or a community group or anything, is actually how well they deal with things going wrong. A family's only as good as it can work through its problems. Right? You, you, that's the truth. We're only as good as our repentance and forgiveness. And when we do it well, we actually are closer together afterwards. It's like scar tissue. It's actually stronger. It doesn't look pretty, but neither do Jesus' hands. Scar tissue is actually stronger than regular skin because it's been cut and bruised or whatever. This is just life. This is life. And it's glorious. It's glorious. Okay, let's end off with service. Um, love, love does seek to serve the one it loves. To do things for that person that they either can't do or would be blessed by doing. And the love of God is like that. When Jesus wanted to express his love for the disciples on the last night they had together, what did he do? He got down and he took off his robe and he washed their feet. Which you know, we have cars and shoes and stuff like that, so we don't do a lot of walking. But it's kind of like, you know how when you've been driving around in the snow and it gets all packed and there's all the dirt and the salt that froze because it's too cold for even salt to work and it's nasty underneath your vehicle? They would walk through that stuff all the time. And so foot washing was actually nasty. It's kind of like uh, when your kid comes home and he hasn't, he's been wearing the same pair of socks all week for gym. And you can tell right through the shoe. Um, those feet. It's, a, it's gross work. And so Jesus just served in love. God loves us with service every day. Jesus said that if God makes the sun shine on you, he's having mercy on you. In love. Jesus said if, if you eat, that's God's kindness. He, whoever he feeds, even the righteous and the unrighteous, he just is loving us by serving us by doing that. And we think it just takes for granted. Where does food come from? Uh, the middle aisles at Superstore. Right? Sorry. The first two, not the clothing section. It, it actually comes from God making things live. And, and he can take that away. Or he can make you sick so you can't eat. Or he can make you so sick you can't open your eyes like if you're here this morning you've been loved on no matter where you are with jesus you've been loved on by a god who serves and is super generous and then he calls on us he serves us by sending a son to die for us that we could never do he serves us by sending a spirit to do through us what we could never do on our own he's just always serving he's so generous he's so generous giving and serving and serving and giving and then he says that his home which is the throne room of heaven he says this is called the throne of grace from now on and you come and you ask and I will work for you in love crazy 
And so he calls us to be the same way, to want to do things for one another. It calls us to serve one another without keeping score. Okay, we can end it there. This is my call. Um, God really loves you. He is going to be loyal to you, Christian, for the rest of your life. And it's and it and sometimes it's his glory to be loyal to us when we deserve it least. He wants us to know his love by experience, that he's affectionate and an affectionate father towards us. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to do that. And he's going to serve us forever. And so he just calls us, as beloved children, walk in the same kind of love. Serve each other, be loyal to each other, express your appreciation to each other. Greg, do you want to come up and lead us in a song? Why don't I pray? God, my my greatest desire for my church right now is just that you would open our eyes to see the glory of your love. Father, where we think we're, we're beyond love, Lord, I pray that we would just take that thought and all the emotions connected to it and just say, that is a lie. And I pray that that truth, that God came to save the ungodly, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, would come and undercut every reason we might have to think that you don't want to serve us, that you don't want to be loyal to us, and that you don't want to make or have an experience of your kindness and affection. Lord, would you open up our hearts just to believe? Would you open up our hearts to believe? So Holy Spirit, I give my church to you. Would you do this thing that can't be done by human hands? To make us experience the love of the Father for real, for real, for real. God, wherever you need to lead us in an activity that would welcome this by faith, whether it's scripture reading or whatever it might be, spending time with you, going for walks, Lord, not out of any law or duty, but just because you want us to put legs on our faith. Holy Spirit, would you lead each person who needs it? But God, I want us to see the glory of your love for your church, unearned, undeserved, unmaintained, just flowing by glory and grace. And that in turn, we would share these things with the people who are in our families, living for your glory. Let's sing.